to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. I tell you, man, super, super excited to preach uh, this evening. It's, uh, I think it's our first midweek uh, service that we have ever done, and um, I'm honestly really surprised by the turnout. You guys uh, surprised me, and so super, super thankful to have all of you. <laughs> I thought it was just going to be like a, a little staff cell group. And, uh, but no, you guys all showed up. Thank you so much for showing up. Uh, <laughs> Gideon. <laughs> uh, so thankful to have Daniel and Adeline back uh, for this week, weekend. I tell you, I, I love preaching when Daniel is back. Uh, it's, it's my favorite time of the year. <laughs> and... Uh, because Daniel is back, you know, I cannot not, you know, start my sermon proper. <clears throat> so this one, um, I read it recently and uh, it made me laugh a lot. So, okay. The Super Bowl is uh, the, uh, one of the largest sports event, if not the most popular event in America. So I read this recently. It says this. A friend of mine has two tickets for the 2017 Super Bowl. They are box seats plus airfares and hotel accommodations. He didn't realize when he bought them that this is the same day as his wedding, so he can't go. If you're interested and want to go instead of him, it's at St. Peter's Church in New York City at 5pm. Her name is Donna and she'll be the one in the right dress. That is funny. Don't worry, I won't do that. Yeah. Good stuff, good stuff. Right, we shall get started and uh, follow me. Let's pray before we begin. Well, Jesus, we thank you once again for the opportunity of um, reading your word, of hearing uh, from your word. And God, we thank you that whenever we approach your word, God, that you are ready to speak, that you are ready to minister to the hearts of the people. And so, God, we ask that with the preaching of the word this evening, that, God, you will uh, bring about such a stirring in the hearts of people, that, Lord, you will be the one that brings about lasting transformation, lasting change. And, God, I ask that even tonight that you will deposit in every heart, in every spirit, a word from the Lord that's in season, that's what they need in this very moment, that, God, you will deposit, God, such a word that that will bring about such great hope, such great faith for the coming season. And Lord, we thank you for what you're about to do tonight. We give you all the praise and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I'm just going to jump right in. The great pursuit of the Christian faith, you know, the faith that we all profess to believe in, this great pursuit is marked by this one uh, goal, and that is to become more like Jesus. That is why we, we do what we do, why we hear the sermons we hear, why we are challenged to live that high call, why we respond to the convictions of the Lord, why we lay some things down, why we pick some things up. And it's all towards the goal of becoming more like Jesus. The Bible even says so that the Holy Spirit was given to you and me for the primary purpose of conforming us into the image of Christ. That is the goal of the believer, to become more and more like Jesus. Amen? You know, the, the Bible even says this. The Bible even says that as we behold Him, we become like Him. 
And this thing of worship that we do, you know, of course, you know, we come with hearts ready to minister to the Lord, but the Lord in His mercy and His kindness towards you and me, He gives us this thing of worship, this privilege of worshiping, so that we can have the opportunity to behold Him, and in beholding Him, we become like Him. That is why the Bible says that He is looking for and seeking after worshippers, not worship. God is not egoistic in His nature. He desires worshippers. He's jealous not for your worship. He's jealous for worshippers because He knows that if you were to come into His presence and behold Him, you become like Him. And that is the best thing He could give to you and me. As we behold Him, we become like Him. And that is the goal of the Christian faith, to become more and more and more like Jesus. And that's why we go to the Gospels. That's why we look at the life of Jesus. That's why we, we preach from these Gospels and we examine the life of Jesus and we long to take principles and things that He did in His life and apply them to our lives because that's the goal of your life and mine. Become more like Jesus. Yes. And for me, one of the most challenging things that I see displayed in Jesus' life is found in this verse. And it says this, it says that in John chapter 5, verse 19, that Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. And that is such a radical statement. That is such a, a challenging statement even for my life. It means that, that everything that Jesus did was in response to what the Father was doing. And if I could take it a step further, Jesus lived his life not in reaction to the things that surround him, but in, in light of every circumstance. He didn't look at the circumstance, but he lifted his eyes to look at the Father. And he responded to what the Father was doing in light of that circumstance. Bill Johnson has this statement. He says this, that Jesus never lived in reaction to the, to the devil. He lived in response to the Father. All that Jesus did, every action, every deed, every word that he spoke was not in reaction to the things that surround him, but was in response to the Father. Jesus lived in, in, in that place of response, in that place of connection with the Father. You see, for you and me, it's very easy to be impressed with what the devil is doing, right? We often come and we speak about our circumstances, we speak about different challenges that we face. But most of the time, we exalt our challenges and our circumstances above the power of God to bring about change in that circumstance. And we, we often come into the presence with a woe is me mentality, help me out, instead of realizing that the answer and the power is in the gospel that has been given to you and me. You guys are not doing the I got it face. <laughs> if I'm preaching heresy, just yell, Heresy! And then our ushers will escort you out. <laughs> and then you got to go home early. <laughs> Am I making sense? Many times you get impressed with the devil. It's, it's, a, it's a true thing, right? And, and part of this process of renewing our mind is to renew our mind to think and to, to believe the way Jesus did. It is my personal philosophy that we get, we get um, saved when we believe in Jesus, but we become transformed when we believe like Jesus. He's the God of hope. He always has hope, in the, even in the darkest of circumstances. In the, in the midst of the storm when everyone was panicking, Jesus had that perfect peace. 
And because he had that peace to sleep in the storm, he had the authority to speak to the storm and calm the storm. He had the authority to release what was inside of him. That internal reality of peace he could release to calm the storm. And Jesus said this to his disciples as he commissioned them. He said this. He said, go into houses and if they be worthy, let your peace come upon them. As believers, we have the ministry of shifting the atmospheres where we are called to go into. This is a unique season, a unique festival, because you'll be going to different houses, hearing about different circumstances, different situations, and you can either partner with these situations, either be impressed with the oppression, or you can come into agreement with heaven and bring change, shift the atmosphere, shift the circumstance. And that only comes when you have that peace inside of you. You can only release what you have. You can only give what you've received. Come on, help me preach. I just slapped myself again. I should stop doing that. Amy says she did not like that at all. Am I making sense to you? See, that hope and that peace we have is rooted in this assurance that no matter how dark and how dire the circumstance, there is always hope for change. The cross is a beautiful picture and a beautiful example. On that dark, dark day, the Messiah hung on the cross, dead, beaten, bruised. And that cross was a gruesome, dark image. But because of the redemptive work of the gospel, that cross now becomes a symbol of beauty, a symbol of adoration. It's a symbol that we carry around our necks. It's beauty. That any dark circumstance, any darkness can be turned around in a moment into beauty. And Paul sums up what I'm trying to say in this verse in Romans. He says this, Paul, good man, it says, he says, all things work together for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. All things work together for the good. And that expectation of good is what the Bible describes as hope. Hope to most of us is, is a wishful thinking. You know, we use it pretty often. Like, I hope the bus comes on time. I hope um, Amy finishes school on time so we can go on a date. I hope I get a race. I hope in this, I hope in that. Right? And it's, the truth is, our version of hope, the world's definition of hope, is often rooted in some measure of uncertainty. You are powerless in that situation. That is the hope that we often subscribe to. But biblical hope, that word that's used to describe hope in the Bible is that word LPs, and it means this, it means the confident expectation of good. Confident expectation of good. And this definition is rooted in absolute certainty. And it's not anchored in principles. It's not anchored in pros and cons. It's anchored in the goodness of God. Because God is absolutely good. And He only desires to give good things to me and is able to turn around every negative situation into something good. I can have confident expectation that good is coming my way. No matter how dark the situation or circumstance. In Genesis, and I learned this from... uh, my sound member, he said, he said this. In the garden when 
Eve was tempted by the serpent. Serpent said to Eve, will you really die if you eat this fruit? And God doesn't want you to know uh, the difference between good and evil. He wants to withhold that from you. In the garden, the serpent essentially questions two attributes of God in a, in a moment. The question was whether God was all-powerful and whether God was really good. And that was the question presented to Eve. Is God really that powerful that He can take your life? Is God really that good that He withholds things from you? Is He really that powerful and is He really that good? And the moment we lose sight of the revelation of the power of God and the goodness of God, we fall into a dangerous territory. And the manifestation of a person who has embodied and, and, and come into an agreement with an all-powerful God and a God that is fully good is hope. It's a natural manifestation. Because power says this. Power says that He is able. And good says that He will. Come on, help me preach. Am <laughs> making sense to you this morning? The manifestation of a person who has a deep understanding and revelation of power and the goodness of God is hope. Amen. And this morning, I want to... Um, this evening, I'm sorry. We don't have any natural light here, so it looks pretty much the same. <laughs> the morning thing. Um, this evening, I, I want to explore a, a passage of Scripture with you. Can we do that? And I want to read from Zechariah uh, this evening. And uh, I'm going to do a bit of uh, exposition and... Uh, and we're going to pull out certain truths uh, from this passage and uh, we'll close real soon, I promise. Okay, let's read this together. It says this. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Let's stop there. And this is the messianic prophecy that describes the triumphant entry of Jesus how many of you remember that? Jesus on donkey, Palm Sunday, yes? And this is the, the Messianic prophecy that prophesies that into being. And let's move on. It says this, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nation. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. How many of you are glad that God reigns? His dominion is from sea to sea. His dominion is not limited to just the church. He reigns and He rules over the entire earth. That means anything that's happening on the earth right now, He has a say in. He rules and He reigns. It says all power and authority has been given to Jesus Christ. And now by extension, He offers it to you and me, the church. For every problem in the, in the world right now, there is a solution and an answer and is locked up in the church that refuses to get out of its walls. You have the solution and the answer. Let's look at the next slide. It says this, As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. I love that. You know, how many of you know that demons like dry places? The Bible for some reason, says that demons are attracted to really dry places. I don't know why, but it says that he will set the prisoners free from the waterless pit. And you know, water is often symbolic of the move and the flow of the Holy Spirit. How many of you are glad that we have full access to the river of God even right now? 
that we don't get to live in a, a desert. No, we, we get to partake in that river of God. We get to drink from living waters. Even now. Last passage says this, Return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you. And my sermon title for this evening is this, Prisoners of Hope. Everybody say, Prisoners of Hope. Prisoners of Hope. Prisoners of hope. And I, I love that line, you know, if uh, I... I Pretty sure some of the translations were translated as you prisoners who have hope. But I do not think that's an accurate translation because if you look at it in its original language, it literally translates to these three words. You prisoners of hope. And the implication is these people are bound, are chained, are locked up in hope. If I'm a prisoner to something, then that something gets to dictate. My lifestyle, it gets to dictate every decision I make. It gets to dictate every action I make. Being a prisoner of hope means this. It means that everything that you do, your thought life, your words, your actions, your deeds are dictated and governed by hope. And hope is this thing. It's the confident expectation of good. The question for you and me this evening is whether our actions reflect that of a hope-filled mindset. Are you stalking your doomsday shelters full of stuff in light of the coming zombie apocalypse? Or do you have great hope that God will deliver you even if there are zombies, which I don't think there are? (laughs) Right? Are your actions reflecting that of a person who is filled with hope? Am I making sense to you? When Moses sent Joshua, Caleb, and 10 others on a mission to spy out the promised land, they sighted giants in the midst of their God-given territory. Joshua and Caleb wanted to pick a fight with them and obtain their treasure, but the crowd preferred to reduce their promise to the level of their fear. How many times have we done that? Reducing our inheritance to the level of our fear. The devil always stations giants right in the middle of our God-given purposes, and the Lord often endorses them. It's true. Remember Jesus' wilderness experience. It was the Holy Spirit who trusted Jesus into the wilderness. And when we read that story, we would think, oh, poor Jesus, he is suffering, he's not eating, you know, he, he's so tired, and then the devil comes and kachow him. Oh, it's so, such a poor thing. But if you read the Bible, it says, it says that Jesus went into wilderness to defeat the works of the enemy. He came in not as a weak person uh, who was tormented by the devil. He came in to defeat, to dismantle the lies of the enemy. You see, we can either view our circumstance as circumstance or we can view it as an opportunity for God to show off. That making sense. It's all a matter of perspective. One of my favorite psalms is, is this psalm in Psalm 73. And uh, the, the writer is, uh, is a man named Asaph. And Asaph, you know, for the first half of the psalm, is a really depressing psalm, Psalm 73. He goes on and he rambles on about the enemy gaining riches, territories, and how they are prospering. And he's so uh, uh, burdened by them prospering. And, and it, it just goes on and on and on. And he's complaining, complaining to the Lord. And all of a sudden, 
it shifts and we will have that verse up, Psalm 73. And it says this, Asaph says, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their end. In some translations, it says, until I went into his presence. Then I understood their end. In his presence is where perspective happens. And it's not perspective that is rooted in, in a pros and cons kind of thing, but perspective that, is, uh, that comes from heaven. We must understand that God created time and He exists outside of time. And you and I live life like this. We move from point A to point B. But God, He operates here. Am I making sense? And when He gives you a promise, He's essentially communicating to you point B. And He's linking you and attaching you to that promise. Am I making sense? It has already happened in His world. It has already happened in His realm. It's done. It's finished. And that's why he can confidently communicate it to you. The question is, are you going to partner with the pain of process? Or are you going to partner with the word that comes from the Lord? Do you trust him enough to know, to believe that he knows all things? Am I making sense to you this evening? See, hope does not deny the existence of a problem. It denies it a place of influence. Hope does not deny the existence of problem. It denies it a place of influence. Hope is defiant almost. Come on. How many of you were defiant when you were a young person? I was not. I was a good boy. I tucked in my shirt into my underwear just so the shirt won't come out. Good, good boy. Hope is defiant almost. It does not allow its carrier to be defined by the circumstances around him or her. Get this. God shows up as a cloud in the bright sunny day. And then he shows up as a fire in the cold dark night. The Lord specializes in showing up opposite and contrary to circumstance. He specializes in that. Every obstacle is an opportunity for God to show off and to come through. Yeah, making sense. I love it, you know, when you read the Bible, you, you read stories like, like Solomon, you know, his, the, the temple of Solomon was, was destroyed and when they rebuilt it, they rebuilt it to twice its size. Job, uh, Job you know, when he uh, uh, lost everything, you know, and it says in the Bible, and Job began to pray for his friends. He forgave those who, who gave him bad counsel and the Lord restored double yeah. to him. Joseph was betrayed by his brother, sold uh, into slavery, lost 13 years of his life. And then the Lord elevated him into a position that he could not have achieved in 13 years, let alone even 100 years. Every obstacle and an opportunity is every obstacle is an opportunity for you to get double. You can either look at a circumstance and go, well, it's a circumstance. Or you can look at it and go, hmm, here's an opportunity for me to get double. It says in the Bible again, it says, instead of shame, I'll give you a double portion. There is no victory without a battle, no testimony without a test, and no miracle without an impossible circumstance. Your circumstances set the stage for God's sovereign intervention. Everybody say amen. Amen, amen. My first point is this. Hope reinterprets a circumstance. Hope reinterprets circumstance. 
it changes the way you think. It renews your mind to, 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 to think from a heavenly perspective. Am I making sense? Let's look at the, the next verse on the screen. Again, Zechariah and I, I'm so sorry, says this, For I have bent Judah my bow, fitted the bow with Ephraim, and raised up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and made you like the sword of a mighty man. In some translation it says, For I have bent Judah my bow, and filled the bow with Ephraim. And we have to understand that Zechariah is a prophetic book. And you can't read it uh, purely literally. You have to view some of the language in, its, uh, in, in, in a symbolic manner, if you will. How many of you know what Judah means? Judah means praise, right? How many of you know that? If you don't know that, education. <laughs> Judah means praise. And this is a prophetic book. And so, so much of the, the language is symbolic in nature. It says, for I have banned Judah, which means praise my bow, and filled the bow with Ephraim. And Ephraim basically means this. It means strength and fruitfulness. If I stretch it a bit further, breakthrough, what you need for that moment. And says, Zechariah says this, I have bent praise and partnered with it and filled it with strength, fruitfulness, breakthrough. Most of us are conditioned to praise after breakthrough. Too much power. We experience the provision of God. And then we're like, great. And then we praise. There is motivation to praise, right? But what Zechariah is essentially saying, he's saying this, when you praise that is where strength, fruitfulness, and breakthrough comes. That's why the Bible says strength will come as we wait upon the Lord. As we wait. Not as you do things. Not as you, you uh, work out the strategy. Strength will come as you come into His presence. As you make a decision to praise, even in the light of circumstance. Am I making sense to you this, morning, this evening? One of my favorite stories is this um, uh, girl that came into um, the healing rooms where I was ministering at um, back in school. And, um, and she came in, you know, and um, uh, she came in with a, a broken foot. So, you know, her, feet, uh, her, her whole feet was uh, in, a, in a cast, you know. And uh, it was not one of those casts where, you know, it's, you have to saw it, but it was one of those boots kind of thing. And I think they, they put them in a boot uh, before they put them in the cast. It's something like that, you know, it's to some tong, and then after that you go in and then you put the actual cast. And so she was she was in that boot and she came in and uh and she asked uh, to be prayed for and so we began praying for her and so she felt um some of the pain leave, you know, and uh and we we're like, Yeah, yeah, God, you know, that's so great, you know. Please go to a doctor and get it checked out and see if anything happened and uh and then she was like, you know what, I'm gonna try dancing on it. I'm a dancer and I want to dance and praise the Lord. And all of us were like, oh, no, 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 no. Go to the doctor. Do not dance. It's okay. You don't have to dance. And she's like, no, I want to dance. I want to dance. And she just ripped the 
boot thing off, and she began dancing. And she began dancing, you know, and, uh, and as she danced, it's one of the most beautiful, uh, 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 scenes I've ever seen in my life. And as she danced, you could see the pain started to decrease as, as she danced before the Lord, and all of a sudden there was zero pain. She was instantly healed in the moment. Crazy. In praise is where breakthrough happens. In praise is where deliverance happens. And this is my point. Hope celebrates with confidence. Hope celebrates with confidence. The Bible has a verse, uh, it says this, with faith and patience we inherit the promises of God. With faith and patience we inherit the promises of God. And faith and patience, they are like buddies, they are often tied together in the Bible. And faith we know, it's, it's confidence in the unseen, it's confidence in the Lord. But that word patience, if you were to study what that word meant for the people in that day, it means this, it means staying power. With faith and staying power, we inherit the promises of God. And what does staying power mean for you and me? It means a resolve to stand firm in our convictions and our principles, no matter what is ahead of us, whether work is piling on, whether family issues are coming left and right, whether money is tight. We have made a commitment and it, it is our core principle and conviction that we will show up to the presence of the Lord. We will worship no matter how hard the circumstance. We will worship even though we don't understand whether there's breakthrough or no breakthrough. We will worship. And that, my friend, is staying power. And the Bible says with faith, with confidence in Him and staying power, we inherit the promises of God. Am I making sense? We have to stay true to cause, true to our principles and convictions. The devil... Stay true to cause, Megan. We're coming to an end. <laughs> you will thank me in five years' time. It's good, good things. <laughs> the struggle is very real. <laughs> ten minute, ten minute. <laughs> How many of you know the devil was an archangel in heaven, right? And his his name uh, was Lucifer. And Lucifer uh, was not a bad name. It means light bringer. And um, and you know, in Ezekiel, they, uh, there's a description about Lucifer, and it said that Lucifer's body was was like it was almost made of musical instruments. And uh, Lucifer's primary job in the heavenlies was to worship the Lord. He was like a worship leader in heaven, and he would lead uh, heaven in, in song and adoration to the Lord. And Lucifer fell because he longed to be like God. He wanted to be worshipped praise and adore like the Lord. He, he coveted for that and that led to his fall. Get this. Who's created in the image of God now? You and me. What were you doing just now at the start of service? We were worshipping. I put it to you that it pisses him off so much to see people that look like God, that image that he longed for, worshipping him basically doing what he used to do. I put it to you that the devil is not on earth to torment you and me. We are on earth to torment the devil. Six billion people that look like God, that image that he so longed for and coveted for, doing the thing that was his job, it annoys him. Annoys him so terribly. And what annoys him even more is you making the decision to worship in spite of whatever he throws at you. 
It's a decision, it's a conviction I have that no matter what happens, I will praise. I will love. Hope celebrates with confidence. I, I want to look at a passage of scripture, and this is the long one, the last long one. And uh, we're going to look at, a, at a, a chunk of scripture in Judges chapter 20. And before we go into that, I want to give you a bit of backstory. And this is the story of the children of Israel coming against the tribe of Benjamin. And uh, what happened uh, in, in the previous few chapters is that uh, a Benjamite, um, a, the, the, a few men in, in Benjamin um, raped a Levite woman and uh and raped her and the the Bible you know even accounts they raped her through the night and uh and when they were done they they put her in front of uh the house of her husband and her husband was so grieved and and uh word got out and the other tribes of Israel uh decided to go against the tribe of Benjamin to purge that sin from the nation of Israel. And this is the backstory of um, the verses that we're about to read in Judges chapter 20. If you have Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn there because things are a bit hard to see on the screen. But Judges chapter 20, and it says this, So the children of Israel rose in the morning and encamped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. And the men of Israel put themselves in battle array to fight against them at Gibeah. Then the children of Benjamin came out of Gibeah and on that day cut down to the ground, 22,000 men of the Israelites and the people, that is the men of Israel, encouraged themselves and again formed the battle line at the place where they had put themselves in array on the first day. Then the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening and asked for counsel of the Lord, saying, Shall I again draw near for battle against the children of my brother Benjamin? And the Lord said, Go up against him. Next slide. So the children of Israel approached the children of Benjamin on the second day. And Benjamin went out against them from Gibeah on the second day and cut down to the ground 18,000 more of the children of Israel. All these drew the sword. Next slide. Then all the children of Israel, that is, all the people went up and came to the house of God and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day until evening. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord. The Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days, and Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet again go out to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hand. And this is one of uh, the passages that's extremely hard to preach, because get this, the Lord told the children of Israel, the Israelites, to go against Benjamin. It was a command of the Lord. And if you read, the first two times they engaged the Benjamites, first time, 22,000 people died. Second time, 18,000 men died. And it's it's the first time the Lord led uh, uh, someone to battle and they lost the first two times. And, And you know, we often see victory as a change in circumstance, do we not? That doesn't look like victory, right? They died and they died. It doesn't look like victory. But get this, the kingdom looks at victory completely differently. We perceive victory to be a change in circumstance, but the kingdom looks at victory as the willingness to pray in spite of unchanging circumstance. In spite of all they face, in spite of the hardship, the defeat, they went back to the Lord and they offered offerings and they worshipped Him. 
Hope celebrates with confidence, in spite of whatever you may face. In defeat, in trial, in the valley, that praise is, is constant. It doesn't change. Am I making sense? Last, last um, point. says in Zechariah 10, I will strengthen the house of Judah and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have mercy on them. They shall be as though I had not cast them aside for I am the Lord their God and I will hear them. Those of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man and their heart shall rejoice as if with wine. Yes, their children shall see it and be glad. Their heart shall rejoice in the Lord. As the Lord brings breakthrough to those of Ephraim, they are, they'll be like a mighty man and their heart shall rejoice like, it, it, like it's filled with wine. Basically saying this, you know, when God gives you breakthrough, don't act cool. <laughs> you know, praise the Lord. Dance before the Lord. There is no room for coolness in the kingdom of God. It's, it's all about exuberance. It's all about passion. You know, if you don't believe me, go and uh, Google what uh, the different definitions of the word passion is. You know, and you'll find right there, number two or number three, passion equates to the sufferings of Jesus Christ. We get to be passionate. We get to exuberate that love for Jesus because he was passionate on the cross for you and me. And he says this, that as they rejoice, yes, their children shall see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. My last point is this. Hope leaves a legacy. Hope leaves a legacy. I want to say this over you, that he who has the greatest hope has the greatest influence. Everyone is looking for hope. You know, I remember a friend in Reading, um, and this was a, a really you know, unique person that I met, you know, and, uh, and every time I, I converse with her, she often had something negative to say about um, a man, you know, it's either one of my schoolmates, one of her pastors, she always had negative things to say about men. And, um, and I come to find out that you no, know, she hasn't been in a relationship and uh, she just absolutely hates men. You know, as I talked with her, as I, how many of you know someone like that? I hope you don't. And uh, as I begin to converse and, and talk to her, I realized that, you know, she, uh, she, she uh, came from a, a broken family. You know, her, her mom uh, remarried several times and every marriage was a disaster. And, uh, and her mom would often... Uh, complained to her about the hardships that she experienced at home and, you know, the husband was abusive, was verbally abusive and, and it was really hard and really difficult for the mother. And she had no hope and uh, no expectation in men and that trickled down to her daughter who had not had any of those experiences. But the level of hope which the mother carried towards men directly influenced her daughter. And now her daughter carries that same distaste, that same uh, uh, mistrust towards men. Hope is influential. And your lack of it is influential too. It affects your children. The Bible uh, talks about this, this story where uh, Elisha gives King Joash uh, a task and he says, I want you to take these arrows and I want you to, to hit them on the ground and the Lord will give you victory. And King Joash took those arrows and he hammered the ground three times. And he says that as he did that, you know, um, he just did that and, and after that, the prophet rebuked Joash and said, why do you hit the ground three times? If you hit it more times, five or six times, the Lord will give you a victory that lasts and because you only hit it three times, I only give you three temporal victories. 
Here's what I'm trying to say. Passionless leaders will cost their followers everything. Joash gave the token thing. One, two, three. He wasn't passionate in responding to the word of the Lord. And likewise, hopeless leaders, hopeless parents will affect their legacy, will affect their children and all who follow them. Am I making sense? The action of leaders will cost their followers. Fathers and mothers, your actions will either benefit or cost your children. I'm making sense to you this evening. So just to recap, the three points are this. Hope reinterprets circumstance. Hope celebrates with confidence. And hope leaves a legacy. Can we all stand? Amen, amen. Amen. You know, I feel Chinese New Year is a a time where everyone is challenged with this whole hope thing. You know, most of you will probably go to your relative's house and they'll be like, got girlfriend already? Uh, Got job already? BTO already? You know, and you're often confronted with how much progress or how much of a lack of progress you've been making in certain areas, right? And it's, it's often pretty confronting, right? And it's your, your challenge with how much, what hope levels you, you have embraced. Am I right? Yes. Am I right? Yes. Need hope? Wow! <laughs> you, my friend, are a prophet. Look at us turning a solemn woman into something funny. You know? <laughs> but uh, how many of you uh, res- want to respond to what I'm saying tonight? Yeah, you need some measure of hope, and uh, it's been difficult, you know. Um, and um, I I don't know the the trials you you have battled. I don't know the circumstances you face, but I do know one thing that there is always a solution. Amen. There is always hope in Jesus Christ, and um, you know any area of your life that is not filled with hope. It's influenced by a lie. Any area of life that is not filled with hope is under the influence of a lie. And that area is a stronghold of the enemy. It says this in the Bible. It says that the truth shall set you free. Any area of life that is influenced by a lie is bound. It's chained up. And if you want to get free in those areas, you need to begin to start to... to you be, need to begin to embrace the truth. And the truth of God's word over you and me is this, that there is always hope. There is always potential for change. He can make all things work together for your good. And as as a body of believers, can we work towards being absolutely convinced that God is all-powerful, that God is really as good as He proclaims. And from a place of knowing that He is powerful, we know that He is able from a place of knowing that He's good, we know that He's willing and an able and willing God leads His people become hopeful, confidently expecting good. Amen.